Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. The Melting Pot is a result of my hunger for optimising business performance. Scaling up organisations, corporate culture, customer addiction, building high-performing teams, along with a few other obsessions. I've spent the last several years working for and with some of the most successful top-performing companies in the world. And this podcast is my attempt to synthesize what I've learned along the way to help you build a higher quality business and live a more fulfilling life. If you enjoy the podcast, you can find more information on today's episode. We do cracking show notes. They're at dominicmonkhouse.com. Hello and welcome to The Melting Pot. I'm your host, Dominic Monkhouse. Today I'm talking to Ben Fletcher of Lead Bullets. Ben is a serial entrepreneur and maker of multiple mistakes. Uh, we get to talk about a number of those today. And in fact, that's really at the heart of what drives Ben. It's his purpose. And his purpose is to help entrepreneurs and CEOs of fast growth companies not make some of the mistakes that he's made himself. And he, and he says it doesn't really matter as he looks at businesses, it doesn't matter what the industry is or the sector. There's just something about scale. Being on that 75 to 300 employee journey and growing at 50% year on year, that growth just drives complexity. And that complexity just trips people up time and time again in the same places. So his current incarnation of business, uh, fast growth icons and velocity squared, is really driven although he's in it serendipitously because he was using events as a marketing mechanism for a business he'd invested in, fulfills his purpose, which is to help these founders and CEOs of businesses not trip up. We talk about how to set objectives and why that's important. We talk about hiring good people. We talk about not being on the edge and losing innovation and not spending time with your problem children. Uh, fantastic conversation uh, with Ben. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. I'm Ben Fletcher. I run a company called Lead Bullets, and the primary purpose of Lead Bullets is to help entrepreneurs grow their businesses and overcome some of the many challenges and problems that all businesses face as they scale. How does Lead Bullets help founders of businesses? At the moment, the main way we do it is through events. Um, so we do two events. We do one which is called Fast Growth Icons, and Fast Growth Icons is only is invitation only, and it's just for founders of fast-growing technology businesses, typically between 75 and 300 employees. Um, we have another event called Velocity Squared, uh, which is for companies of the same size, but not just the founders, also introducing the whole um, leadership team to the um, same content, which is all around these common mistakes people make. Um, we're also expanding that with Velocity Squared to include more information about the engine of growth and how you actually go about acquiring and retaining customers through marketing, sales, customer service, and so on. And how did you end up with an events business? Actually, what it started with is me trying to get out of events. <laughs> I had an events business. So when I, when I was um, 24 or something, I left university, no idea what I wanted to do, went into sales, commission-only ad sales, highly lucrative, not very spiritually rewarding. Um, but I did meet someone and uh, who said, why don't we do a business together? And the original idea was to do a publishing business, um, but that required too much money. So we actually went into events. And, and what we did is because we didn't really know how events worked, we went and spoke to loads of people about the problems with events and we designed a solution 
uh, to those events, just making events more interactive and a bit more practical, a bit more often limited in scope. So they were kind of for a very tightly defined audience of people to make the content really relevant. And that company then grew really rapidly. We were doubling in size every year for five or six years, got up to sort of several millions of revenue. But actually, we made millions of mistakes in that. And actually, what happens is we'll come maybe onto some of those mistakes later. But when the business got larger and more successful, I felt that we lost the original soul of the business. And so come 2007, 2008, I was really desperate to get out and do something different and just nothing to do with events. So I've sort of ended up back in events accidentally. Um, so what I started doing at that point was angel investing. I thought, well, partly because I didn't think anyone would actually employ me or that I would be an employable person as a, I think I'm a dyed in the wool entrepreneur I, don't, I wouldn't deal with management very well anyway so I thought what I'll do is I'll I will invest in some technology businesses and I'll be an angel investor and obviously one of my main failings I think is that I'm delusionally optimistic so I thought well I'll, obviously I'll find these amazing businesses that I will be uniquely positioned to spot and I'll give them some money and I'll give them all this wisdom that I've racked up over the years. And my God, these businesses are going to be hugely successful. And, and as with many things in my life, I experienced like that, that that's not how it worked out at all. And these companies didn't go on to be hugely successful. And in fact, you know, the vast majority of them fails. And that's just, oh, I think that's fairly par for the course with angel investing, but it certainly taught me that I didn't have anything special there. Um, but one of these businesses was a technology platform for recruitment. And their key client prospects were founders of fast growing technology businesses who were obviously hiring loads of people. And I said, well, why don't we do an event? We'll bring together these founders of these technology businesses and we'll give them lots of insights into how they can grow their businesses more effectively. And part of that will be recruitment. And although we won't promote you overtly, you'll be there, you'll be part of the event, you'll get some good branding, great way of growing your business. And um, that event just turned out to be hugely successful, much more successful than I expected when we were planning it. I think we were looking at having, uh, we thought we thought sort of 80 people would be a good result. And it would be just this afternoon event where we, or maybe I think it was, originally it was going to be a, three people speaking and it was going to be an evening event. But as we started inviting all these interesting entrepreneurs, they all started saying, this is a great idea. The industry really requires something where people can learn these lessons about how to grow a kind of fast growing business. So we ended up with a full day event and then we had 230 people at it and people really loved it. And I, I, that was the first time I think that I'd had something where I'd expected one thing and I'd totally blown my own delusional expectations out of the water. <laughs> that was a pleasant surprise. And so I, I and I said to um, this company and I'm, you know, I'm not naming names, but this is something there's something really here that you could capitalize on. And they said, well, we're not an events business we're a technology business and this doesn't fit into our, our strategy and i said okay fine i'll do it then because i really enjoyed doing the event and that developed into time uh, to this event that's now called fast growth icons and yeah, as you said we ran it in london berlin amsterdam paris and new york it started with me not wanting to be in events but ended up back doing events you're fated to be in events for your entire life but I'm loving it now. I think what I didn't enjoy before was, well, it wasn't just that it was running a big company. I felt we totally sacrificed all our ideals of producing this very high quality product as we started getting larger. And I, I recognized that I didn't know a lot of stuff about the events industry. And that meant we made loads and loads and loads of mistakes when we were growing really rapidly. 
And I thought the solution would be to hire experienced people from the events industry and they would come in and we would bring all their wisdom, which they did, but they also brought with them just the standard way of doing events that every events company did. So we became, from being a really exciting, dare to be different, kind of innovative company, we became just the same as everyone else. And we were playing on everyone else's playing field with no key differentiating factor. And we were just a lot smaller. So life became a real struggle. And I just fell out of love with it, basically. Yeah. So what have you done this time round? What have you done differently? I haven't done that much differently from what we were doing right back in 1996. I've kind of gone back to that, that core of saying, have a really tightly defined audience of people that are coming because it's really hard to do an event that appeals to absolutely everyone in the whole world. The narrower you can make that, you know, a specific job function, a very clearly defined group of companies, the easier it is to provide relevant content. And in fact, for Fastcast Icons, it's invitation only. So we know we're very carefully selecting an audience of people that are directly right for the content we're delivering. And then just pack it full of, you know, make sure that the, the presentations actually have something useful to say, which may sound obvious, but a lot of presentations aren't very useful. They're just overly light panel discussions, proper practical um, presentations, and then loads of time left over for networking and discussion. If you get a group of people in the same industry together, they're going to want to talk to each other. And most events sort of squeeze that out into the sidelines of just the kind of break time. But we, you know, we have lots of roundtable discussions that get people really talking to each other. And that's, that is what we were doing. So it's not a much of an innovation on, oh my God, 25 years ago. It just produces much better quality events. Are you as big now as you were at the point where you fell out of love with the business the last time? No. No. So you've kept it smaller. Yeah, although what, so what's happened is we did the kind of event for founders of technology businesses. That's been going really well. I've sort of running out of locations to run the event with that very specific you know, companies between sort of 75 and 300 employees growing at 50% per year. There aren't very many places where there are enough of those businesses where you could do more events. So in Europe, we stopped doing Amsterdam because it wasn't big enough. It would be London, Berlin and Paris. And then in America, we're starting to do New York, but we've got to build that up a bit. And then we could do you know, three or four locations in New York. But there aren't a lot of places. And that's part of the reason why I wanted to do Velocity Squared. Although, as I was saying to you earlier, the, this purpose, ever since I came out of my first business, was I wanted to help people avoid some of these mistakes. I've been very clear on that, but I had never really got around to clarifying the mission part of it. You know, What would success look like? And I re- realized that, that mission is quite a motivating factor. You've got to have a not just a reason why you're doing something, but some kind of measure of what good would look like. And so for me, I want to be able to say that I helped a million entrepreneurs run their businesses more effectively. And that's a fairly ambitious target, but I've got the rest of my life to achieve it. You know, that, that means the events have to be bigger and it means I have to produce other products like could be anything, potential training, podcasts. We're producing lots more content with Velocity Squared just ways that you can get these lessons over to more and more people. That's fantastic. These events have been running for some time and in multiple locations. So you must now have a, are you trying to solve the problems that you had or do you get the audience feedback so you know what problems people need help solving? I think I made a lot of mistakes. I think there's a really decent mistake out there to be made. I would have made it. So I don't think... In a way, if I tackle anyone's problems, I'm likely to be covering a lot of the same ground that I saw a lot of my own mistakes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I want to answer the 
the questions that people have. But there's just a huge amount of overlap. And it's just interesting. You can take two completely different businesses. And when they're talking about the challenge of scale, which is really a challenge of complexity, because you've got more people in more locations, more different departments, all the different reporting lines and product handovers and communication lines just scales in a kind of geometric way, even if your company's growing arithmetically. So all of those problems produce very similar challenges for people. So yeah, they're, they're both the same thing, I think. And so what are some of your favorite mistakes then? If we go back to what I was saying before, we had we had a brilliant product. It doesn't matter that it was events. It could have been anything. We had a really strong product. We had fantastic, what would have been net promoter scores, but we, we were scoring people on a sort of score of one to 10. We, we had 92%, I still remember something like that, 92% of people would score us eight or above for our events so we had this amazing amazing feedback and what that meant was we had a high repeat rate so people would come back the following for the following event and more people would come in and then we would and they would say hey why don't you do an event on this and an event on that and that's where the growth came and that's why we grew really rapidly so the problem was actually we thought well we thought we got this great product but we didn't set any clear objectives of what we were trying to achieve we just thought well this is brilliant we'll just go out and hire really bright people which was really easy to do because everyone else working in events companies was finding the boring way of doing it just quite frustrating and we said come to us and be different and kind of experiment and we're innovative and cool and sexy they joined and they were really bright people but without that clarity of what the company was trying to achieve, what we ended up was, was I'd like to say organized chaos, but it was just chaos, really. We, it wasn't clear what good looked like. It wasn't clear where we were going. It wasn't. We did, we did the first internet expo in Poland. We were doing this mini MBA training course in Hungary. We did logistics courses, HR, I mean, you name it. We launched a careers site, like an online careers portal. We just totally lost our way because we were... We didn't have any clear definition of what we were trying to do. And hiring fantastic people isn't, I mean, it sounds really good. In fact, I think it's uh, Lee Ioka, the kind of American industrialist, who said, people ask me what the secret of my success is, and I say it's not that hard. I just hire great people and get out of their way, which sounded like fantastic advice, but actually didn't work for us because you need to be in their way enough to get them to achieve what you, what you wanted. So I think that thing of uh, false objectives, whether it's vanity metrics or whether it's a mission creep or whatever it is, not being really clear about what your core product is, what you do really differently and where you want to take it leads to a lot of problems. And a lot of people don't have that clarity, especially as they start getting larger and bringing in people from outside. Well, and also they because they don't have that clarity, they don't know which people from outside they should hire. And what the skills, attitudes, behaviours or values that they're looking for. It happens all the time. People have a, they're not super clear on their core customer. They can't describe their core customer in 30 words or what problem they solve for them in another 30 words or why they're different to everybody else. It's amazing because I suppose a bit like you, they often people have stumbled into a business. I suppose I don't mean that they've pivoted on the from a view that they've sat down and worked something out. What they've done is they've sort of bounced from the thing they started to to the thing they now make money from without a clear plan, and they're still in business. And then all of a sudden they start growing. And as you say, that you're just pouring petrol on the fire. We just thought we're being so successful, we're growing really rapidly. I think there have been two periods in my life when I've just thought, 
wow, this is amazing. I've discovered the kind of magical golden money tap. And all I have to do is crank this tap a bit harder and just more money will come out. And when you start thinking that you can't lose, you're in a dangerous situation. Um, So we should never have been doing this big internet expo. It was totally just a normal expo like anyone else would do. Um, We got very excited. We had the president opening it and it was massive expo. But that wasn't our core. If you ask people why they loved us and what the real engine of our growth was, was people loved these events that were more focused and um, more discussion based and more practical. And you know, that was always a, that was a solid core for us. And then we, we realized in 2001 when the internet bubble burst, because we were doing loads of internet stuff, some of it in the form in our sort of format and lots of it just not. Um, just suddenly, just so much of our revenue dropped out in 2001 because people stopped going on internet related courses completely when the internet bubble burst. And that, although I could, if I pointed to that point in our life cycle and you say oh, our revenue dropped and we had to lay off lots of people you'd say well it was the internet bubble burst and that was a cause that you know definitely a cause of it actually if we'd stuck to our core business um, and we'd had these strong products those bits actually didn't go down very much and it was all the superfluous stuff that got knocked off so i think we then realized that we needed to be a bit more focused yes and still your success outgrew your desire to remain after the the dot-com bubble burst the next sort of problem that happened to us was we we retrenched back into our core and we started doing all the stuff that was we were loved for again and then we uh, and then the, the the economy picked up and suddenly we started making so much money because we weren't investing lots of money in do- launching new products we had all our core products and suddenly all the revenues were going up like crazy and we were just like wow this is amazing we're making so much money and we're like right Let's not make the mistakes we had last time. So we had a very clear definition of what we wanted to do. And we hired really good people from the conference industry. But this time we hired more senior people that really understood how the processes for delivering stuff and you know, operational efficiency. So we weren't wasting money, which we were terrible at before. And that started doing really well. And we were like, we really have discovered the magical golden money tap this time. Um, and all we had to do is have three times as much. We, we'd got up to about 80, 90 people, something in the first iteration. And we'd shrunk right down to about 20, 25. And then we got up to about 40 or 50 people, something like that. And it was going really well. And we were like, we just need to be three times the size. Come on, we've got to be ambitious. We've got to really grow this thing. So we just went out there. We had tons of money because we were making loads of money. And we went out and we just hired loads of people. And uh, uh, it was a bit of a disaster, really, because I think what actually happened is we didn't hire loads of really great people. We hired less good people uh, because we were such in such a hurry to hire them. We definitely got caught up with the... We had the wrong objectives. Again, we were thinking... All we have to do is fulfill this hiring plan and it will fill up, you know, complete our three-year kind of plan to, you know, millions of pounds of profit. But poor, less good people coming in, they started following the, you have to have rules to be a bit, to be operationally effective. But if people just follow the rules, then you get a company that has no innovation and no flexibility. And actually what happened was we just, we stopped innovating. So we, we were doing these slightly more innovative things, but everyone was starting to introduce more roundtables and everyone was, and we were slightly doing less roundtables because we were becoming again, a bit more like every other events company because we were hiring these people with outside experience. So basically we met in the middle and again, we ended up being just the same business as everyone else's, no clear 
differentiator. And at that point, we thought, we've got this one bit of our business that was doing events for, in asset management technology. And that was the real engine of profit in the business. It was the bit that's been going since 1996, consistently successful. And we said, right, I think what we'll do is we'll sell that bit of the business off. This is just totally wrong. I mean, what we should have done is got rid of <laughs> everything else and just stopped doing it and built that bit of the business. But anyway, we thought we'll sell that bit of the business. Uh, and then with the money we make from that, we'll uh, cash in a bit, but we'll also build these other bits of the business. You know, that one's mature now. So it's that's kind of boring. But yeah, but actually didn't come to pass either because this is a conversation we were having in 2000, end of 2007. And by the time that we'd engaged the uh, M&A advisors and there was a bit of complication because it was all one company and we we're selling a part of it. Anyway, by the time we got around to it, 2008 had happened and everything had kind of collapsed again and no one was going to buy a business and the profit was down and the whole thing didn't really look worthwhile. When we first started thinking of selling the business in 2007, I thought, well, I, I had fallen out of love with the business and I was like, well, I'm going to get out. So 2008 happened. I had to then spend, I started doing a bit of angel investing um, but I then had to, we had a general manager running the business. That's partly why I wasn't so engaged in it anymore. They had to go because lots of people had to go. I then had to kind of run the business for a year when I really didn't want to do it just to get it to survive this sort of trauma of 2008. And then we hired a, a CEO to replace me and I left and started doing the angel investing. Uh-huh. I'd like to say there were some bits that I did that were really, really successful, but uh, actually, look at it. Most of it is me getting over optimistic about the and overexcited, and then making some massive mistake. And so, what would you? You've got objectives, hiring less good people, being dragged into the middle from your sort of innovative edge. What else have you? Well, also the the sort of just yeah, delusional, delusional hope, <laughs> delusional optimism. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think all entrepreneurs are. You meet people and they say, "I'm going to change the world." Like you have to be a certain type of person that when you say that doesn't actually laugh at your own reflection. Having had these sort of successes, failures, I now have a different approach to it. I can I can simultaneously I can say, I want to help a million entrepreneurs to grow their business, but rather than think I'll put some numbers in a spreadsheet and it'll look fantastic. And I'll just hope that that'll kind of all come true. I'll say, actually, that's going to be really hard. There's going to be a million and one ways in which I could fail to achieve that objective. What are those million and one ways? And I'll never, you know, if I can get a good list of the problems I'm likely to encounter, then I can mitigate for them or I can, that's how you do it. It's not that it's, it's never easy to grow a business. There are lots of problems but you need to work out what those problems might be and mitigate for them or deal with them not just blindly assume that if you just hire all the people and spend all the money and i think people fall for this when they when people have this sort of mentality of if i raise 10 million pounds for my business how could i not make a success of it well lots of people raise 10 million pounds and don't make a success of their business it's not having the money doesn't make it all suddenly easy for you it's always hard i think in many ways it means you've only got you've got a shorter time to succeed. You've got to get those customers paying the bills or go and raise more money. It's a pact, you know, it's a, I don't want to say Faustian pact, but it's kind of like that. You're saying, if I don't now grow my business 10 times, I'm not going to, I'm not going to grow into my valuation and I can sell my business and never really get any money out of it at all. Um, so you've really got to be sure that what you're going for, and it, because we know that very few VC-backed businesses return money to the fund, I mean, one in three or something, you know that two-thirds of the people that raise VC money 
the CEOs of those businesses aren't going to see a return. They'll get their salary. But if they do exit and they've raised £10 million and they exit for £15 million, they pay the £10 million back to the VC who will have some kind of liquidity preference. And then they've got the £5 million left over, which may not be a fantastic outcome for them. Or they may get nothing. I mean, or they may get trapped running their business for ages and no one wants to buy it. So we've sort of been sold this idea that raising money is the key to success. And it's just not. It's a very particular type of success for very few people, the kind of 1% of people that really do something that fundamentally changes an industry they work in. And it's great for those people. And they would never have achieved it without the money. But most other people are kind of waste product. Well, and it takes a long time. I mean, uh, I think Starbucks and Apple, both, if you look at their overnight success thing, they were, you know, they've been in business 25 years before they hit that inflection point. You know, whereas lots of people want to do something in, in three years or in five years. This is definitely something that I've realized. And, and Bill Gates said it better than I would, because he said people tend to overestimate what they can achieve in one year and underestimate what they can achieve in 10. Buffett talks about his sort of superpower is he understands compounding better than most people. And if you get a business and you grow it at 20% a year and you could do that year on year out for 40 years, you end up a billionaire almost no matter where you started from. Whereas if you think, oh, I'm going to grow this business 100% a year, well, maybe you maintain that for three years and then you kind of go out in a ball of fire. Having that kind of long-term view, if you draw the graph of what it looks like to grow at, let's say, 20 or 30% a year every year, it goes up in a steep curve at some point, but it goes quite flat for quite a long time. Um, And that's what people don't really understand. And I think partly that's a benefit of being older. And I can think that spending 10 years on a business is a kind of sensible time frame. I don't have very many 10 years time frames there. <laughs> but, you know, I can see that having a 10-year kind of idea of where I might get to make sense in a way that when I was in my 20s, I just couldn't see beyond, you know, I thought three years was such a long time away. I thought a three-year plan was a crazy idea. I mean, it is always wrong. I mean, you never get exactly what you forecast, but that planning is, is essential. And understanding if you can have that kind of consistent growth is much more important. Totally. I think you said that your target audience for fast growth icons is 35 to 75 employees? Uh, 75 to 300. Oh, sorry, 75 to 300. I was intrigued because I just wondered what proportion of them were sort of VC or PE funded versus... A lot of them are venture backed um, because they're the ones that are growing the most rapidly and are suddenly getting into these complexity issues because they've raised 10 million pounds or 30 million pounds or some people that are coming to the events have raised over a hundred million pounds. So they're hiring like crazy. And I think that that sort of papering over the cracks issue is a big problem. And we had that. So we, we had it both for two different reasons. One in the first iteration, the product was really good. So we were being pulled, you know, we were generating loads of revenue that was pulling us into growth. And we had that sort of success. So it camouflaged the fact that we were making lots of mistakes because the business was was growing because of the quality of the product so in a way we could have gone for a couple of years not hiring good quality people doing all these crazy things didn't really matter and the second time the cracks were papered over by the fact that we just had this massive chunk of money because we've been really successful and so we could and we we're like oh we're losing all this money but it's like no we're not we're investing it in the future uh, it's just a future that never really arrived <laughs> I do meet people occasionally who talk, who use that same investing thing. And I say, tell me exactly what you're investing in and how much you're investing in what your return will be. And like you, they're just really what they're doing is they're just, we're losing money over here. We'll call it investment because then we don't have to look at it quite so hard. 
I, so I always say to businesses, you should make sure you have a very clear definition of your operating profit. If you stopped doing business today, stop trying to grow today, and you could take out, I mean, it's a bit hard because you'd say, well, our CMO is half doing the business as usual and half an investment in growth. But if you could cut it out and allocate all those costs, do you have a business that would make money today? And look, fair enough, there are some businesses that will only make money at scale. That's a particular bet. But for most businesses, and for me, the kind of business to business businesses that I like, they should be able to say, no, if we stopped trying to grow now, we would be able to make money. And that's a sort of sustainable business. If you don't have that, then you're just spending more and more money to, to make more, more and more scale of something that's fundamentally unprofitable and unsustainable. And people lie about that. If they have to divide that CMO salary, they'll often say, no, well, he's only doing spending a quarter of his time on business as usual and 75% is an investment in the future. So there's lots of room to lie to yourself. Oh, yeah. See, we call it, it's called CEO metrics, isn't it? <laughs> CEO math. Oh, yeah, we're 12 million and we're growing 100% a year. That'll be 8 million growing 30 then. It is that sort of thing. You think, well, what are we likely to do in revenue this year? Well, we're going to make, you know, 5 million in revenue. No, five, oh, no, well, actually, it's more like 4.2, but look, come on, it would probably be five. And then you say, well, what can we grow to the following year? Well, we can grow by 100%, but actually it's going to be 72%. And then suddenly you kind of compound those errors. And when you look at your five-year plan, it says everything's going to be amazing. But actually, you take out all of those 20% here, 20% here, 5% there. And actually you end up five years, nowhere near where you plan to go because you've just been over optimistic. And if you then think, well, that's where we're going to and it's going to be amazing, you say that's totally justified spending all this money now because of where we're going to get to in five years' time. But you've been over optimistic all the way through. I, mean, I hope you can tell I'm speaking from experience <laughs> there. <laughs> totally. Justifying why you're spending all the money now because it's all going to make, make sense in the future and it may not. So. Ben, knowing all those mistakes that you've made, some of which you've shared with us today, if you went back in time knowing what you know now, is there a, is there a thing you'd take back with you to a time and a place? I think it's so hard just because I sort of feel I'm so happy with where I've got to. I feel really happy about the event that I'm doing. It really gives me a lot of satisfaction and I, I've learned so much from those mistakes. It'd be really hard to, to do anything that fundamentally changed the way my life worked out. One subtle thing, one thing I always wish that I, not only that I knew it earlier, but that I could always remind myself of it effectively, is when you're growing a business, you're doing a number of different things. Some of them will be working well, and some of them won't be working so well. What tends to happen with the way human beings are designed is we focus on the stuff that isn't working out much more than the stuff that is working out. And if you put half your effort into something that isn't working out very well and you could make it 10% better well it's 10% better on something that isn't working very well whereas you put half your effort into something that is working really well you can make it 10% better that's 10% of something that's going fantastically and that's going to be really meaningful and so I think the problem is when people start going away from their core and developing other products and other divisions and teams it's the problem children that attract all the attention and I wish I'd known that I mean, I can actually calculate that the money that I that we spent, this profit that we were making from the asset management technology events, that we were plowing into everything else that wasn't going so well. If we just focused on that, even without growing it, just by avoiding the, just giving up on the problem children a bit earlier, I think it's about two million pounds of you know profit <laughs> that we gave up. Just we thought we weren't happy with that sort of nice 
thing that was just making money consistently and we wanted to we were dreaming bigger and we just wasted money on trying to deliver that that dream but without having a really clear idea about why you were doing all the things you were doing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly all of these things like being very clear about what we did sticking to the stuff that was really working well not having sort of vanity metrics of oh, surely if we hire all these people things are bound to be fantastic would have been really transformative for me but as i said I'm, I'm, I, it's it's a really useful thing to look at your business and think what's sucking up all my attention and is it the same thing is there alignment between that and what's really working well and where i can maximize the time i put in but as i said i sort of ended up I'm quite happy with where i've ended up anyway so i didn't really change anything <laughs> or I, i'm not even sure if i'd listen to myself if i if my old self came back and told my young, younger self some of this stuff i probably wouldn't listen so <laughs> And um, Ben, along the way, you must have picked up and read some books that you thought were helpful. Have you got a sort of a, a list that you think a few that people should pick up and read? I'll recommend two books, I think, which I think are, are particularly interesting. One is a general book about life, but definitely about business, which is uh, mindset. It's all about growth mindset, which everyone talks about now. And you've probably heard people talking, everyone that's listening to the podcast would have heard people talking about growth mindset. Um but read the original book by Carol Dweck. It's really well written. It's brilliant for improving the thing about the ways in which you prove yourself, improve your relationships, and that's you know your personal relationships and your your business relationships. And it's a great uh, motivator. In fact, when I, I I'll just so when I read that book, I thought, mm, yeah, I am I am growth definitely growth mindset in some areas, but I'm definitely fixed mindset in others, and that's just a real shame. And it wasn't until a couple of years later that I realized that actually the thinking I was fixed mindset in itself was a fixed mindset thinking. <laughs> and actually you can change and you can be growth mindset in any area you want if you just believe that you can make make a change. So that's a brilliant book. I would definitely recommend that one. And then I thought I'd recommend, because uh, everyone recommends like a Reid Hoffman book or a, I don't know, there's so many of those books that appears on every, appear on everyone's list. Just for an interest, so a book that's got a really interesting story and a really interesting way of thinking about things is uh, Turn the Ship Around by David Marquet. So he was a submarine captain. You, if you, Actually, anyone that wants to, before reading the book, look him up on YouTube and look for the, uh, there's a talk that he gives, which you can get the flavor for the book. He's just, he's just a really interesting guy. And uh, if he can run a nucleus submarine in a way where he really empowers everyone to make their own decisions. I think the only thing that he said, that the fundamental decision he'd take is if he had to press the button to fire the nuclear missile, that would definitely be his decision. But everything else had to operate without him making any decisions. And so that I think that also is a sort of key secret of success for companies is, is creating. So the reason why Fast Growth Icons is sort of 75 to 300 employees is that's the level at which you can't, as the founder, be involved in all the, the key decisions anymore. You probably can't do the key hire. You probably can only do key hires, not all hires. You can be involved in some key meetings, but not all meetings about product strategy, not all meetings about marketing. And if you try, you become a bottleneck. So you have to create an organization that can think and operate without you being involved. Um, there's a lot of things that go into that. But this kind of concept he talks about and turn the ship around, I think, are really uh, useful and then you've got your new event launching in january velocity squared from memory fast growth icons is about the challenges of scaling and velocity squared is about how to create the growth i cover both in both in velocity squared we'll have one stream which is all about 
tackling the challenges of growth, which is your kind of your objective setting and you know, how you communicate culture, values, all of that sort of stuff. And then we have another stream, which is all about how you actually create growth, how you think of your brand and your position, how you start doing marketing, how as you get larger, you can get your product and marketing teams to work harmoniously together or sales and marketing. There's a lot of kind of organizational stuff about how you deliver, not necessarily going down to the detail of email marketing campaigns or anything, but sort of strategically thinking about how you go about acquiring and retaining customers, all the stuff with customer support and service and stuff that, again, gets more challenging as you get larger and you get more clients to support. So it all becomes more uh, difficult. Ben, thank you very much indeed. Where should people look you up if they want to know more? You can look me up on LinkedIn or you can look up Velocity Squared is probably the best place to start, velocitysq.com. That's brilliant. Ben, thank you very much indeed for your time today. Uh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. As a token of your appreciation, it'd be fantastic if you could go wherever you're listening and leave me a review. Those reviews really help other people find this podcast. For all information relating to this episode, you can go to dominicmonkhouse.com forward slash podcast, and there you'll find some fantastic show notes, additional reading and links relating to this episode. You can also find my blog and the past editions of my subjectively not crap newsletter, The simplest thing to do on the website is to sign up and I'll update you each week on the most interesting articles that I've read on all things relating to scaling up, high-performing teams, net promoter score, company culture, etc. For social, you can find me on Twitter, Dom Monkhouse, and LinkedIn at Dominic Monkhouse, although LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me, share your questions and comments, and, and perhaps even recommend a guest for a future edition of the Melting Pot podcast. Thanks for listening.